Welcome to Thrive Church. We are so happy to have you here. Uh, I'm Judah, lead pastor here at Thrive, and we are in our series, Counterfeit God. And did you know that it's, it's very easy in the world that we live in to come up with a counterfeit God? You know, kind of a, a choose-your-own-adventure kind of God, where we say, oh, you know, we, we like a God who does this, who's always kind and loving, but we don't want a God who, who, who is a judge or, or who hates sin and evil. We like the, the, the cute little version of God. And so today, we're going to be continuing this as we talk about the one true living God. You know, many people see God as some kind of a uh, some kind of a guru, you know, of sorts, kind of like, like somebody who, who sits alone up on some mountain and, and gives these proverbs, these words of, of wisdom that you have to decipher, maybe kind of like, like Yoda did. You know, somebody you hear, you're like, I'm not quite sure what you're saying, but, but it sounds like some good sage advice. You know, they, they give guidance or, or recommendations, and, and we like this idea of God being like an advisor, someone who gives you this guidance, somebody who, who recommends something. You know, I'm sure we have all kinds of advisors in our lives, people who recommend things, suggest things, and, and we look at God's Word, the Scripture, and you say, oh, well, the Bible is full of good advice. Did you know, though, that 49% of Christian millennials, they don't believe that the Bible is actually God's word. Almost 50% of those who call themselves Christians that are in the millennial age group don't believe that, that the Bible is God's holy word, that it's inspired by God. In fact, one-third of them say that the Bible, the Quran, and the Book of Mormon say basically the same thing. They have basically the same, same truths. You know, I, I saw this firsthand many years ago when I was in our town's YMCA. And, and you know, YMCA used to mean Young Men's Christian Association. And, but, but I went in there, and it had this, this poster, this giant poster on the wall, and it had all these, these lines from different world religions, and they all said something similar to the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. But it had this out of all of these various religious texts. Treat people the same way that you want to be treated. And, and, and the, the point of this poster hanging on the wall was, was, see, they're all the same. They're all the same. Look, all the religions of the world are actually the same. See, they all say, they all share the same one sentence. I mean, I mean, if, if we're honest about it, it's a very uh, logical sentence to treat other people the way you want to be treated. In fact, if you ever have plans or aspirations of starting your own religion, you might want to include that in your holy book as well. Because apparently every world religion has something like that in it. But that does not mean that they're all the same or even remotely similar. So, oh, the Bible is just full of, of good advice. You know, you can kind of take it or leave it, though. You know, it's, it's good advice. A lot of it doesn't make sense. And some of it's advice that, that doesn't relate to today. You know, some of the advice in there is, is really outdated. You know, I, I mean, clearly, when, when God inspired the Holy Bible, he wasn't 
intending us to take it literally in 2021. Like, he, he didn't really understand, so we just kind of take it or leave it, because I, after all, am the master of my own world. I can pick and choose the advice I want to take. I can pick and choose the characteristics of God that I like, and I can, I can create a cute little Jesus that I want to worship, even if it ends up being a counterfeit. See, we think that there's no, no consequence for not following the advice. When we think about advisors or counselors, normally they, they stay in their own lane. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like they pick a topic and they kind of stay there in that lane. Like if, if I have a financial advisor that inv- advises me perhaps which stocks to buy and sell and how to set up a 401k or a Roth IRA, I listen to their advice, but I probably won't listen to their advice on how to raise my children. Right? It's like, like you stay in your lane. If you have a, a personal trainer, they may give you advice on, on exercise and diet and such things as that. But, but I, I probably am not going to take a stock tip from them. You know, we say, okay, you stay in your lane. You, you, you advise me in this one area. And we look at God and we say, God, you are the spiritual advisor, but you stay in that lane. Let, like, don't cross over into these other areas of my life. I mean, you can, you can talk to me about prayer and reading the Bible and, and loving creation, but, but don't start telling me how to live my life. You know, th- there used to be this bumper sticker, this saying. Um, I actually got a, a license plate that says, says, God is my co-pilot. You ever seen one of these before? God is my co-pilot. Like, people have them on the back of their cars. God is my co-pilot. And it looks all nice. See, it seems nice and religious, you know. It's got a little cross there in the middle of the O. Not that you can see that when you're driving 70 miles an hour down the road. But uh, God is my co-pilot. And it sounds all nice because, because the idea of this is that, that a co-pilot is one who, who assists you in something. But, but when I think of co-pilot, I also think of some other things as well. That, that they're second in command, right? Like, like the co-pilot answers to the pilot. So, so me saying God is my co-pilot, it's like, well, you know, God, he, he, he answers to me. I got the co-pilot there to, to support and advise and, and help. They're there for when things go wrong, right? Like if, if the pilot has a heart attack, that's when the co-pilot steps in. But otherwise, you know, they kind of just stay over there and, and maybe just offer a little bit of guidance, some moral support. But everybody knows who's really in charge. In an airplane, who's really in charge is the pilot. If you've ever flown on an, on an airplane, like y- you assume that there's probably a co-pilot, but you're, you're quite sure that there is a pilot. In fact, if the co-pilot didn't show up, you might not be all that bothered. But, but if the pilot didn't show up and the co-pilot said, hey, you know what, I've never flown one of these things all by myself, but hey, first time for everything. You, know, you might be a little bit hesitant to go on this trip. But God... It's my co-pilot. You know, we know who's really in charge. You know, the, the co-pilot is trusted, sure, but they're not as reliable as, as the pilot is. It, it kind of implies this statement, God is my co-pilot, it kind of implies that, that he's there just in case I need him. He's there just in, in the event of an emergency. But otherwise, you know, I kind of got this, got it on my own, just there if I need him. Just in case I can't do it all on my own, then I have 
God there as my co-pilot. We, we see this acted out in Scripture. In the book of Matthew, the letter that, that Matthew wrote accounting his firsthand experiences with Jesus Christ. So he saw this firsthand. He saw this happening. He says, someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now, he's already kind of setting up the question. He says, what good, what, what one thing do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, why ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, uh, keep the commandments. And then he says, which ones, the man asked. And Jesus replied, well, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and I kind of imagine Jesus saying it kind of like that in a way. He's just kind of like, yeah, just rattling it off. Because see, he knew the heart of this man who was coming to, to see him. And Jesus is kind of giving the, the customary answer, if you will. But this man continues on. He says, I've obeyed all these commandments. The young man replied, what else must I do? He already has asked twice, what do I need to do? Jesus says, obey the commandments. He says, which ones? Well, honor your father and mother. Don't, don't lie, cheat, steal. No, don't do any of those things. He says, I've done all that. What else am I missing? And then Jesus, I believe, stops and looks him in the eyes. And Jesus tells him in verse 21, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. See, Jesus raised the bar, didn't he? See, at first, he gave the customary response. The response everybody would be expecting. Oh, follow the commandments. Which commandments? All of them. You know, honoring your father and mother, not to lie, cheat and steal. You know, he said, do these things. And the man keeps pressing him. And Jesus is like, fine, fine. If you want to really know, go and sell all you have. Come follow me. Well, it says in Verse 22, but when the young man heard this, he went away sad. He went away sad. He turned around and left. Why? For he had many possessions. See, the line was drawn in the sand. He's saying, saying, Jesus, what do I need to do? And Jesus is giving him the customary answer, I believe, because he knew. He knew this man wasn't really wanting Jesus to be his Savior and Lord. He was wanting him to be his guru. He was wanting him to be his co-pilot. See, he's saying, see, tell me what I need to do until it disagrees with what I want. Tell me, tell me what I have to do until, until it's not something I want to do anymore. See, this man wanted the benefits of following Jesus without the sacrifice. He wants the advice, but he didn't want to give up control of his own life. See, this man, he wanted to follow Jesus, but he still wanted to stay in the driver's seat. He's basically saying, Jesus, would you like to come along and be my co-pilot? I get to make the final call, but you can give me some tips and pointers along the way. In your notes, many want Jesus as an advisor, but not as their Lord. Many people say, oh, I want the advice I want the, the, the little nuggets, the proverbs, the little bits of truth, but I don't want them as my Lord. And then when there's advice or there's something in Scripture that we see, we say, thanks for the advice, but I'll take it from here. Because I don't agree with 
with what this says. I don't agree with this part of what the Scripture tells me. Is anybody here a control freak in any area? Of your life? Okay, a few, a few honest people. Some of you are like, I'm not going to raise my hand because I'm in control of my own hand. I can only raise it when I want it. No, um, you know, many of us are, are, you know, and maybe you're not a control freak in every single area of your life, but maybe there's some areas that you're a control freak, other areas you, you could really care less about. Some people are control freaks in their finances. Some people are like, well, whatever, whatever happens, happens, you know. Um, different people are, 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 are control freaks in, in different areas. I know I, I am. There's certain things that, that I like done a certain way, even leading the, the church here. There's certain things that we want done. There's certain uh, culture that we want created. We want to create an environment where people feel loved and welcomed and encouraged. And, and so, so it's like I said, oh, we, we got to do this. We got to really work hard at this. I, I really want to stay connected to that. But then there's other areas that we're just, you know, we're control freaks, and it doesn't really matter that much. It's like, well, I, I'm in charge. I'm the, I'm the captain of my own destiny. But how many times have we captained ourselves into a mess, right? It's like, I'm in charge. I can do whatever I want to do. I, you know, I'm the pilot here. I'm the pilot. I'm in charge. I'm flying this airplane. I'm the one navigating. God, you're just, you're just my co-pilot. You're just a co-pilot. You, you're just sitting over there. You know, if I want your opinion, I'll ask you. See, God wants to be the pilot. God wants to be the navigator. God wants to be your Lord. God wants to be your master. He wants to be the one who is in control, not just the one in case of emergency. Oh, in case of emergency, then I'll turn to God. But let's face it. We've piloted most of our life. Most of us have been in the controls all of our life. And where has that gotten us? If we're honest, we've piloted ourselves into every jacked up situation we've ever been in. Every, you know, it, it, I, I looked at all the bad things I've ever done in my life, all the poor choices, and there's one thing that all of them have in common, and that's me, that I made the choice, that, that I, I piloted myself there. It's like, oh, oh, I'm the pilot. Yes, you are, <laughs> you know. Yes, you, you, you chose to do that. You drove yourself down that path. See, this idea of God being my, my co-pilot, as if, he's, as if he's less than me, as if, he, you know, he, he's, he, he's below me. So it, it, what it's really saying is I don't totally trust God. He's not really trustworthy. I don't trust him to, to fly the thing, but I, I, I'll take his advice. You know, I, I'll, I'll consider it. And if it kind of feels right, I'll go along with it. But if I disagree, well, I have the final say. I don't think that God is that trustworthy. See, we allow God to be in this advisory capacity, but we don't want him being in charge. In James chapter 1, verse 22, says, But don't just listen to God's word. Today we're, we're listening to God's word. We're hearing it, and that's part of the process. We have to hear it, but it says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Underline that sentence. You must do what it says. See, it's not enough to just listen to the advice. We actually have to obey the command. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. 
For if you listen to the words and you don't obey them, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and then you forget what, I look, what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and you don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Saying, take a look in God's Word. It's not just a, a book of advice. It's, a, it's our guide. It's our rule book. See, God, He wants to come and be the captain. He wants to come and be the pilot. And if we hear God's words and obey them, it says that God will bless you for doing it. See, we need to follow Him. We need to allow Him to direct our path. Not, not expecting Him to simply follow me around cleaning up my mess. If you've ever had young children, you know what it's like following them around cleaning up a mess as you go. And, and, and this is how many people expect God. Like, God, I'm just going to go and I'm going to live my life and, and I expect you to clean up my mess and pick up the pieces as we go. And many years ago, there was a song, uh, Jesus Take the Wheel. And, and I don't know, I, you know, people liked it, I guess. Um, it was about, you know, somebody, they're driving on, like, some icy condition or something like that, and the car gets out of control, and they're like, Jesus, take the wheel, you know? And that was the whole whole premise of the song, and, and you know, it's nice and, and, and all that, I guess. But, but why do we do that? Like, like why do we do that? It, it, it's like, like okay, God, I'm, I'm driving off a cliff here. Can you take the wheel now? You know, you should have given him the control long before you got to the cliff. Like, you should have given, like, like maybe you shouldn't have been in the driver's seat to begin with. Maybe you shouldn't have been the one driving in this storm, in these icy conditions. Like, Jesus, take the wheel. It's like, God, you're my last-ditch effort. Will you please take the wheel? God, I, you know, you're my co-pilot. That's what you're here for, to bail me out of these situations I tend to get myself into. See, the problem is, is that many of us, what we want is, is certainty. We want certainty. I want to be certain of things and, in life. I, I need to be the one who's in control. I need to, to be certain. I need to know exactly where I'm going. I need to, to know what I'm doing. It's like the old saying, if you want something done right, what? Do it yourself. Right? You wanted something done right, you got to do it yourself. Well, well this, is, this is how many of us live. I want this certainty. Reminds me of a story I, I read about this man, John Cavanaugh, and he went to Calcutta to spend three months serving with Mother Teresa in her mission there. And, and as he was there, he had opportunity to talk to her, and she asked him, says, you know, is there anything I can do for you? And he said, yes, I, I would like you to pray for me. He was going through some, some transitions in life and, and needed some direction, some wisdom and guidance. And she, she said, sure, I'll pray for you. What do you want me to pray for you about? He says, that I have clarity. And Mother Teresa looked him in the eyes and says, no. Clarity is the last thing you're clinging to, and you must let go of it. And, and, and he was kind of taken back. He says, well, it seems like you have always had so much clarity in your life. You've seen so clearly what, what it is you're supposed to be doing. And she says, I never had clarity, but what I've always had is trust. So I will pray for you to trust God. See, it's not about us having clarity. It's about us having trust. It's not about me having certainty. It's about us having trust. Many of us are, are clinging to clarity rather than living in trust. We want to see clearly. 
But there's many things in life that you're not going to have clarity about. Why certain things are happening to you. Why certain obstacles are coming your way. You may not have clarity, but we can have trust. See, clarity is not guaranteed in life. There may be situations that you're going through, and it seems kind of foggy at times. I'm not exactly sure where I'm going. I'm not exactly sure what's around the corner. I would like to have clarity. That's really what I would like. I would like clarity, but I don't have the clarity that I want right now. In your notes, you may not always have clarity, but you can trust God. Even when you don't have clarity, we can trust God. It says this in Matthew 16, verse 24. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, do we want to be follower of Jesus? Do we want to follow Jesus Christ, Messiah, Lord, King of Kings? He says, if you want to be my follower, he says, you must give up your own way. Underline that. You must give up your own way. But, but I don't want to give up my way. See, I, I don't want to give up. See, this is what, what that rich young ruler we read about earlier. We, we saw him. He says, oh, Jesus, I want to know what I have to do to enter into eternal life. I want to know what I got to do to be in heaven with you. And Jesus says, okay, fine and simple. All you got to do is sell everything you have, give your money to the poor, and come follow me. And he says, nope, no, I, I'm not giving up my way. I, w- Jesus, what I really meant was, what do I have to do that I, I want to do? Like, can we set the bar a little bit lower here? He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Because if you're trying to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. See, this is, this is the opposite mentality of, of looking at God as a guru, looking at him as, as my co-pilot. He's saying, no, I want you to give up control of your life. I want you to turn over the control to me. Are we willing to give up the control of our life? He says that's the way you actually gain true life, the abundant life. In your notes, see, God, he doesn't want to be second place. He doesn't want to play second fiddle in your life. He, he wants to be first. We see in Scripture, it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. See, the co-pilot isn't the one who's in charge. They're just there to support the pilot. Are you going to give God control of your life, or are you going to fight him for it? See, that's what often happens, is we're actually fighting God for control over our life. Did you know that, that whether you like it or not, God is ultimately the one who is in control? When, when, when bad things are going in people's life, my, my challenge to them is always the same. Like, if it seems like things are out of your control, that's fine, because God has never lost control. But yet what we try to do is we try to fight God for control. We try to take the control away from him. See, God is worthy of your trust in every situation. In your notes, faith in God is surrendering control to him. If you have faith in God, it means you surrender. I'm giving control to God. I'm surrendering the control over to God. See, control is this illusion. We think that we have control, but you never had it, and you never really will. See, our desire for control is rooted in a lack of faith, saying, God, I don't think you have what it takes to be the pilot, so I want you to be the co-pilot. I want you to be 
my advisor. I want you to be my, my guru. I want you to be the one who just kind of gives me a little bit of advice here and there. But it's my choice, you know. I, I, it's my life to live. You know, some, some of us, are, you're not only trying to control your own life, trying to control everybody else's life too. Trying to control kids' life. Oh, I want you to grow up this way. Go to this school, get these grades, get this kind of job, make this kind of income. So, so, some are trying to control your spouse. Some of you are trying to control your friends. Some are trying to control your employees, your boss. We're trying to control other people, and, and yet we don't even have control over our own self. So you don't always have the power to control things, but you do always have the power to surrender. To surrender control over to God. And God has called us to surrender to Him. How do we do this? You know, the, the, the first step with any of this is getting in God's Word. I challenge you, if you've been around, you, you've heard me challenge for the, the 555 challenge, spending five minutes every day reading Scripture, five minutes every day in prayer, five minutes every day listening for the voice of God. It takes 15 minutes. If you're not doing those things, this is where you start. If you say, yeah, that's great, I'm doing that, great. Now it's time to up that to the 10-10-10 challenge or the 20-20-20 challenge or, or whatever it may be. See, see, the thing of it is, is we need to get into God's Word, and the more we get into God's Word, the more we communicate with Him, the more we listen to His voice. Now we start to, to turn over the controls to Him or, or more accurately realize that He's the one who should have been in control from the beginning. See, we need to let God drive our lives and trust that He knows what is best. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Do we trust in God with all of our heart, or do we depend on our own understanding? I need to have certainty. I need to understand this. I need to know all the directions. I need to know each step of the way. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. See, if you want to know God's direction, if you want to know His path, He says, seek His will above all else. We need to seek His will, hear His will, and obey it. That rich young ruler that we started with, he heard God's word, but he rejected it. He says, no, I'm the pilot here. I'm, I'm the pilot. God's the co-pilot. I want certainty. I want clarity. But God is saying, just trust me. Just trust me that I got this under control, that I am a good God, that I love you, that I am guiding you and directing you. It says that we can cast all of our cares on him. So when should we trust God? When should we trust God? Final thing in your notes that you should trust God in the good days and you should trust God in the bad days. Only two times you need to trust God. Just when things are going good and just when things are going bad. That's it. You know, some of us find it easier to do one rather than the other, though. Some of us find it very easy to trust God when everything's going good but as soon as something bad happens, we say, God, why have you abandoned me? Oh, God must hate me. And we can't trust God in the hard times. Other people are exactly the opposite. It blows my mind. Some people are like, man, everything's falling apart, and I'm just going to get closer to God because I need him in my life. I realize it. But then as soon as things start getting good in life, they're like, well, thanks, God. I'll see you later. I'll see you next time something goes bad in my life. See, we need to 
trust God in the good days and trust him in the bad. We need to give control of our life over to God and trust that he is the one who is in control, not continually fighting him for control. See, learning to trust God, learning to give him control is a lifelong process. And we have to choose each and every day that I'm going to trust him, that he is the one in control, that he is the one piloting my life. We need to choose to give up control and give it to him, realizing that he is not my guru. He is not my co-pilot. He's not even my advisor, but that he is Lord, that he is king, that he is ruler. He is Messiah, and he is the number one thing in my life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. And Lord, we ask you to direct our paths. Lord, so often we try to hold on to the controls of our life rather than giving them to you. We think that maybe you would make a better co-pilot. But Lord, today, here and now, we say, take the wheel. Take the controls. We, we want you to be in control. We want you to be in charge. If you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, today is the day. Don't let another day go by. It says in Scripture that if you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, that you will be saved. And if you call on his name and you say with your mouth, Jesus, you are my Lord, that you'll be saved. Won't you call on his name now and say, Jesus, you are my Lord. Father, we give you control. We turn over the controls of our life to you. We see you not just as a guru, not just as someone who gives good advice. Lord, we see you as our ruler, as our savior, as our king, as our healer, as the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the first, the last, and we trust you. We don't need the certainty. We don't need the clarity because we put our trust in you and we know that you are the one who sees the path most clearly and we rely on you to control and direct our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go and visit us at www.thrive.church. If you're ever in the area, we'd like to invite you to come and join us. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, we encourage you to leave a rating, review, share with your friends and family. Until next time, may you grow deeper in God's word each day.